Welcome to First Reading Podcast, the Old Testament lectionary podcast for preachers and for other interested readers of the Bible, too. I'm Rachel Wren. I'm a Ph.D. candidate in Hebrew Bible at Emory University and an ordained Lutheran pastor as well. And I'm Tim McMinch. I'm also a Ph.D. student at Emory, and I'm a candidate for ordination in the Presbyterian Church, PCUSA. Our goal here is to give an easy on-ramp to some of the scholarly resources that are out there for the week's Old Testament lectionary reading. And in light of that research, to give a couple angles on the text that we think would make for great sermons. In a few weeks, we will post the first of our monthly long-form episodes, and our first guest is going to be Dr. Vanessa Lovelace, and we are thrilled to have her on here. Yes, we are. But in the meantime, we know that you have weekly sermons, not just monthly sermons, and so we're going to give you a little scholarly and pastoral take on each week's text in a little, like, five to seven minute morsel. Morsel? Uh, nibbler? What, what, do you, what, do you, what do you want to call the mini episodes? I've sort of been thinking about them like those little, uh, what do they call those, uh, petite fours that they do on the Great British Baking Show. They're like little miniature layer cakes. What if we, what if we call them that? <laughs> okay, you can call them whatever you want, Tim. <laughs> well, let's, let's go ahead and dive into this week's reading. We're looking at Deuteronomy 26, 1 through 11. And uh, you're taking the lead on this, right, Rachel? Yeah, I did do the prep work on this, and I'm excited to share it. Uh, Before we begin, two things. First, if you haven't read the text, at this time I'd encourage you to go pause the episode and go just read through it real quick on your own so you have a sense of the whole pericope before we we really dive in. Uh, And secondly, I'd say let's take a quick moment and uh, do a prayer, center our hearts and our minds, and uh, give a moment for the Spirit of God to kind of flow through our veins. So please pray with me. Gracious God of heaven and earth, God of our ancestors and God of our future, breathe life into this text for us now and breathe it into our weary bodies. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so let's jump right in. Uh, I'm going to start with some literary context on the book of Deuteronomy as a whole. So the book of Deuteronomy as a whole starts with Moses reciting the main events of the trek through the wilderness. Then it shifts into the commandments and a bunch of exhortations for Israel to stay faithful to their God and to stay faithful to these teachings, which will help them maintain this committed relationship with God. This chapter, chapter 26, comes when that speech is winding down. This is kind of the summary of that speech before it shifts into some more rhetorical encouragement from Moses and from the elders of Israel to really stick to the Torah. So, chapter 26, we have kind of the capstone of this long farewell speech. Now, 70 years ago, a guy named Gerhard von Rad. He called this an ancient creedal formula, which means an ancient statement of belief. And and he thought that these really ancient kind of summaries of a lot of the Pentateuch and even the Deuteronomistic history at different points uh, were the very earliest portions of the Bible. And out of those sprung the rest of what we would call the Pentateuch or the first five books of the Bible. But actually now scholars think the exact opposite of that, which is, Typical in scholarly world to have the pendulum swing back and forth. 
Um, now they think that actually there were more likely a couple of different groups who eventually came together to form Judah and Israel. So that when we get long um, recit recitations reciting of the history, which includes different points of it, like Abraham and like Egypt and like being led out through the wilderness, that these are actually late texts. So that we're seeing kind of one of the last layers of the Bible as God used the people of the ancient Near East and the Jewish faith to bring the Bible together. Hmm. So that's some of the historical context. Let's dive into the text itself. In verse 2 and 9, we get this word makom. So if you remember our very first interview we did with Dr. Jacob Wright, he said, when you see makom or the place in the Hebrew Bible, you should kind of imagine it as capitalized, like capital T, capital P, the place. It's often referring to a holy place, um, either the temple or some other very sacred space where God has showed up in a really big way. And here we have it twice. We have it in verse 2 and in verse 9. Now, at the end of verse 2, you also have this mention of going to the place, Hamakom, where the Lord your God will choose to establish his name. This is... This is something that is kind of odd to our ears today because we have a different understanding of names than we did uh, than they did back in Israelite times. Uh, when you hear the name in the Bible like that, you should think of it much like I just talked about thinking about the place as capitalized, the capital T name capital N. Uh, God's name came to be understood as a hypostasis, which just means an extension of uh, the deity or a container that somehow captured some of the essence of the deity. Hmm. In, ancient, in ancient Near Eastern temples, what you would worship when you went to the temple was an actual image. It was a statue that was made by humans and then went through this complicated process of uh, consecration in which they believed the deity somehow lived in that image, was a part of that image, was that image, even though the image didn't fully contain the deity. Now, they didn't have that in the ancient Jewish temple. In fact, it was outlawed. So what they had was a similar sort of theology around God's name, Hashem. Uh, in Solomon's dedicatory speech, uh, when he finally finishes the temple and then is praying to God over the temple and speaking to the people, he talks about this. He talks about how God has chosen to establish God's name in that temple forever. Uh, and that the name somehow captured some of the essence of God. Um, this is this gives light into why they would have a commandment about not taking God's name in vain. Um, you start to see that it's a little more uh, substance to it than just, you know, swearing when you stub your toe or yeah, something like right. that. And in fact, you, you still find this theology in um, Orthodox Judaism today. Uh, I did a project a couple of years ago where I studied a women's prayer group at an Orthodox Jewish synagogue. And what I found when talking to people is they would actually say Hashem when talking about God. So they would talk about praying to Hashem, praying to the name, um, because they take so seriously that idea of not taking God's name in vain. So final insight before I go into preaching ang angles is verse 10. Um, verse 10 has the word Natan to give in it. 
Um, and my challenge for you as preachers would be go through this pericope and circle every time the word give shows up. It's one of those big ticket words in this passage. Um, I could have missed a couple, but I counted at least seven times hmm. that it shows up. So when you have a word repeated like that, it's kind of a, a theme word for the text, and it can be helpful to figure out why is it showing up so much? What's it doing there? What's the point that it's trying to make? So last thing, preaching angle. Uh, there is something so beautiful that this text actually does have to say about stewardship that I had never noticed before. And I have heard and given a number of sermons on stewardship. But what I had never heard was the very last verse of this text. So it goes through this long recitation about Abraham and my father as a wandering Aramean going down to Egypt the reason why I take together my um, offering and bring it here before the Lord. At the end of verse 10, it says, You shall leave your offering before the Lord your God and bow low before the Lord your God. And then here comes verse 11. And you shall enjoy it together with the Levite and the stranger in your midst, all the bounty that the Lord your God has bestowed upon you and your household. The offering was brought into the presence of God and then was consumed and enjoyed in God's presence with the Levite and with the stranger and with the poor and the needy. Interesting. Yeah. It, I mean, it's this whole concept of an offering which is not just given and then given away and passed on, but is somehow you still take part in it even after you've offered it up to God. Uh, so I don't know how that would change a stewardship series or change how we talk about stewardship, but it just felt significant to me that I had never even noticed that before. Yeah, there's something to preach in there for sure. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like a good place to wrap up this mini episode of First Reading. Oh, glad to hear because that's all I got. Okay. Thanks for your work on that, Rachel. Music this week is by Monistic Theory. Check out their stuff wherever you like to get music. And thanks to all of you for listening. Now, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast feed. And if you want to see more of what we have going on with First Reading, to learn more about our guests or to give us some feedback, head on over to firstreadingpodcast.com. Until next week, thanks for listening. Thanks.